0: According to tradition, there is a certain way that Eskimos were said to have hunted wolves. And the way that this worked is that the Eskimo would take a very, very extremely sharp knife, a uh, type that is just extremely sharp, and uh, would take some animal blood and would dip the knife in the blood and then let the blood freeze to the knife. And then the Eskimo would do this again, dip it in some more blood, let it freeze in the the frigid air, and keep doing this until basically you had this uh, incredibly sharp knife uh, coated and encapsulated in this frozen blood, kind of like a blood popsicle, uh, hiding this sharp knife underneath. And then the Eskimo would place this, fix it in the ground with the blade up, and then just go away and wait. And a wolf would catch the scent of this blood in the air and find the source, come to this, sniff it, and start licking. And the wolf would enjoy this, tasting this delicious blood, this blood popsicle, and would begin to uh, lick it more and more, enjoying this, uh, working himself in a frenzy as he's licking and licking away at this until eventually he's not even noticing that the, the, the warm, fresh blood that he's now tasting is the blood from his own tongue as he is licking this and it, it is being uh, just cut to ribbons in his frenzy licking this. And then all the Eskimo has to do is wait till morning and find the wolf in the snow that has bled to death. And this is a way that they would catch these wolves we're going to see in Genesis 3 that we're looking at that Satan is a master at temptation Satan is a master of manipulation he is subtle he is crafty and he disguises the deadly consequences of sin he disguises it underneath the pleasure of sin In the same way that these Eskimo hunters would disguise uh, the deadly blade under this uh, delicious popsicle of frozen blood for the wolves, and we're going to see how he took down Adam and Eve, and in doing so, how he took down the entire human race. As we look to Genesis chapter three, uh, we're finally we're into Genesis chapter three, and when we get into this, you might be thinking. I really wish we could have stayed in Genesis 1 and 2. Things were good in Genesis 1 and 2. We liked it. It said that things were very good. But this is where everything falls apart. This is where things go downhill. This is where uh, Adam breaks the world, literally. So this is going to be helpful to us to explain the world that we live in, why we do live in a world where there is great beauty, because it is created by God, but there is so much dysfunction in the world around us, and in our own lives, in our, in our own hearts. And I think this is also an incredibly important section of Scripture for us to look at to see how Satan operates, to see how Satan tempts, what he does to Adam and Eve, how crafty he is, how he disguises uh, the consequence, how he gets Eve, he, first of all, to, to question and to doubt God, to doubt his word. Because these are the same things that Satan has been using over and over and over in humanity, in my life, in your life, and we need to be aware of these things. Not to be like uh, Eve that was, was ignorant of these devices and uh, fell into it, but we need to be aware when these things are happening. So let's read together. We're going to be working through the first seven verses of Genesis. And we will read this in sections. We will look at First Genesis uh, 3, 1 through 3. And we see that the serpent tempts Eve to doubt God's word. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So look, there's quite a bit, even in these first few verses, uh, for us to look at. And as we look at, the tactics here of Satan, the serpent that's going on, I think right away, one of the things that we see, and I hope you have your Bible open so you can follow this. These verses are not gonna be on the screen, uh, so I hope that you can take a look at this. But in the first verse, it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. It doesn't quite say that this is Satan. We know that from later on, but here it just identifies as this this serpent. And I could tell when I brought up the PowerPoint, a lot of you are not really fond of uh, a lot of snakes. So, sorry, you have to stare at this for a while. Uh, (laughs) But one of the truths that we see is that Satan disguises himself. He presents himself as something other than he is. And maybe you have a great distaste for, you know, snakes now. A lot of people do. Um, (laughs) When I was a kid, I caught a snake and put it in my sister's bicycle bag to be a little surprised for her. Because um, that was fun. Uh, wouldn't have had the same effect if it was a kitten. She would have probably enjoyed that more. Uh, so a lot of us we were revolted by snakes. It doesn't look like Eve was really freaked out or revolted. And maybe the serpent didn't even look the same. Uh, we're going to see later, it gets cursed by uh, the Lord later on. Uh, so the revulsion that some people commonly feel towards snakes now Eve wasn't feeling that she saw this as part of you know God's creation it was there and there's a good chance it was uh, a beautiful thing that she saw that Satan picked but notice Satan didn't come to Eve as himself he came as something else and he came here as a part of God's creation And so even though it doesn't really explain it, exactly what's going on in this passage, uh, we know it's not just that there happen to be talking snakes. This is an example of Satan uh, kind of taking over this serpent and using it and speaking through it. You know, Satan can't create life. He has to take what God has made, what God has made good, and he twists it, he distorts it, he uses it for his purposes. And so that's here what Satan was doing, uh, but we know from later on that this is Satan working through this snake, and there's um, Jesus talks about uh, the devil being a liar from the beginning. But to make it really clear, in Revelation twelve nine and also Revelation twenty two, it clearly identifies uh, the devil as uh, the serpent. Let me read to you Revelation 12:9, where it says, "And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world." And Genesis 20: verse 2 says something the same thing. So the devil, Satan, uh, the one it's referring to here as the great dragon, the ancient serpent. Uh, this is the devil kind of coming through uh, this this serpent. Kind of makes me wonder too, and I don't have any way to prove this. You know, could he have been more like dragon-like in in kind of a beautiful way? But he comes to himself, uh, Satan comes to Eve in a way disguised. He lies about who he is, and that's how he's going to come to each of us as well. He usually doesn't come in some kind of, Uh, Just, you know, horrible monstrosity, you know, like the cover of some kind of, you know, satanic 1980s heavy metal album. You know, he appears, Scripture says, as an angel of light. He comes as something that appears to be good, that appears to be beautiful. He makes himself seem different. He misrepresents himself. 2 Corinthians 11.4 is where it says that he disguises himself even today as an angel of light. It said in that verse that the serpent is crafty or maybe translated as as shrewd. And we have to remember that. He is smart. He is uh, an expert at manipulation. And if he was good at this in Genesis chapter 3, he has had thousands of years now to uh, perfect that art of manipulation and to know what works on people and how to lead people astray. Satan will use tactics to get you to let your guard down. And that's what he's doing to Eve. She wasn't on guard when the snake talked to her. Now, first of all, you know, things are very new. And so she probably didn't know, you know, snakes don't normally talk. Uh, But he does it, Satan does it in a way that causes you to let your guard down that will get you to give him your ear to get you to listen to him. You know, if he came right and said, I am Satan, you'd say, I, I'm not gonna listen to you, but he does it in a way that, well, let me hear you out. Let me hear what you have to say. So we get our guard down, we give him his ear, and he'll say things to us that, that seem to make sense to us. And we're gonna see that as we keep going on in this passage. So we see, just first of all, he disguises himself, he represents himself wrongly, and then right off the bat, The serpent questions God's words. That's what he does today. He questions God's word. The first question mark in the Bible is something that Satan said. Questioning the Lord. Did God really say this? Hath God said? Where God puts a period... Satan loves to put a question mark. Things that God has straight out said, God, Satan loves to come in and instead say, well, there's a question about this. Is this really how it is? Do we really understand it? It may seem really clear that God has straight out told you this, but maybe there's other things. Did God really tell us to do this? And see how often in the world today, God is, or the Satan is doing that exact same thing, putting question marks where God Has put a period making a statement. Now notice too the subtlety of the serpent. This isn't a denial of God's word right off the bat. He doesn't start off by saying God is wrong and contradicting. He starts by putting this question mark, getting Eve to to think in this different way. He's kind of cracking the door in her mind and her heart to, to doubt God and his word. So again, he is he is patient. Uh, he knows that there are different steps to do. And so yeah, he doesn't right away do the, the, the full frontal assault. That's going to come. But at first, he puts her in this mind of, 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 of questioning God's word. And you know, there, there's a big difference between having questions about God's word. You know, that can be a healthy thing to wonder, to have questions, to take a look at how, can, how do I know this is correct. That's different than, than questioning God's word in that wrong way. Did God really say this. And a lot of times in our lives, that happens because we don't want to believe God's word. We have other agendas going on in our hearts and our lives, and so we're looking for reasons to want to say that God didn't really say what it seems like he really clearly said. Also we see, and this is just in these first few verses, that Satan misrepresents what God actually said. I would Look here again at Satan's comment, again this is verse 1, he, the serpent, said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? You notice how Satan has, has, has twisted and even manipulated uh, the statement? He's not talking about here the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, is it true that God has told you you can't eat of any of these trees? And this, again, is one of the tactics that Satan uses. That Satan here, he's, he's trying to make God's command seem extreme and to make it seem just ridiculous. One of Satan's tactics is this. He will exaggerate God's command to make them sound just obnoxious to us. He did this here God had actually told them, you're free to eat of any of the trees. You just can't eat of the one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan makes it, gets her to say, you, you can't eat of any of these trees? Well, what is God? That's ridiculous. Does he want you to starve to death? You can't have any enjoyment? You can't eat of any of these? This is kind of like today, uh, where some people tend to think that God is saying, what God never allows you to do anything fun. God never allows you to have any enjoyment in life. In the area that's such a big deal in the world today of, of sexuality, a lot of people think that you know, the message that, uh, that God is giving is God never wants you to have any sexual relations. He never wants that for you at all. It's just bad, it's evil, you can't ever have that. And some people grow up that hearing that message or thinking it that way, that you know, God just uh, doesn't want you to have any of that. Where instead, the actual message is that God is the one that created this type of intimacy and that it is a very good thing between a husband and a wife who are married to each other. And in fact, you can even find verses in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 7, that say that God wants this to happen. That God is telling husbands and wives to have this happen. But again, Satan makes it seem he exaggerates these things to make God seem like he's this huge cosmic killjoy that he wants to take away all happiness in your life, that he wants to just make you miserable, instead of recognizing that God has given great deals of freedom. He's given great deals of, of goodness and things that we can enjoy in the right way if we follow God's commands. So again, more of the tactics of the serpent. He misrepresents what God actually says. And then we read this, we're going to see that not only does Satan misrepresent, but then even her reply, it's close to what God said, but not exactly. Not exactly. Because we read again, it says, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. So first of all, She's, you know, engaging with the serpent because she doesn't know who it is. She's, uh, she's being deceived here. Uh, it might be that she even thinks this is a legitimate, you know, messenger from the Lord. She doesn't understand, you know, evil. Um, and again, he's just he's asking this question. But notice the way that Eve responds. It's kind of correct, but it's not exactly correct. And it's hard to know what happened here, because in chapter 2, God originally gave these commands to Adam and we have no record that he repeated them for Eve. Maybe he did, but we don't have a record of that. And it seems that it was Adam's responsibility to fill Eve in on this. So we don't know if, did Adam not do this as well as he could have? Did Eve hear it in a different way? Was it Satan already starting to mess with her head a little bit? But look at some of the subtle changes that happened. In Chapter 2, verse 16 and 17 is where uh, the Lord actually gives the commands. And if you look what the Lord actually said, uh, he says you may freely eat of any of these trees in the garden. Now the, the ESV says surely eat. Uh, most translations say something like freely eat. But the underlying uh, Hebrew is really talking about the generosity. That they may eat well. They may uh, just it, it really enjoy all of these different options there's this huge garden with all of these different varieties of of fruit and food that are being offered to adam and eve for their sustenance and for their enjoyment they can eat freely of this and so what eve says it's not it's not technically wrong but just notice how she just kind of diminishes the goodness of god just a little bit here and it goes from freely to, to eat yeah we can have this uh just it seems to diminish the the goodness, the enjoyment that God offers through this. Now also notice in the original command that God gave to Adam, uh, it said, talking about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it says you may not eat it. But now you look and see what Eve says in replying to the serpent. And she said uh, to him, um, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. So first, we see her kind of diminish part of God's word. Now we see her add to God's word. And I don't know if this is something that she misunderstood. I don't know if this is something that Adam added to it. And possibly he wanted to really make sure maybe that Eve didn't eat from it. And so he said, you know, hey, don't even go near it. Don't even touch it. Uh, But at least in her response, there's an addition here to God's word. And that's where we need to realize, we need to understand what does God say and what sometimes can be the additions to that, that sometimes can have good um, intentions. But I think as we look at this, we're going to see how this also added into the sin that would happen later. So she viewed God's law as being even more restrictive than it actually was. Yeah, it may have been wise to just not touch it, but the actual command was just not to to eat of it. So we see that, and we see when God gave the command originally, he said, you shall surely die, and she says, lest you die. Again, not a huge change. It seems to be basically the same, but again, it's kind of a softening of the consequence from you are going to die to, well, you might die. Again, it's not a huge drastic difference but you see this slight little change and that's oftentimes how it happens that we start off with just a little bit of modification of god's word and satan can use that for his purposes getting that that crack in the door a little bit so eve's subtle changes these things that that happen here she diminished God's word, she added to it, and she softened God's word. So first of all, we should to realize, huge application is we need to know what God's word actually says. You need to really know what God says in his Bible. And the way that he communicates to you right now, he, he's not audible voices from heaven. It's not feelings in your heart. The way that we have God's words is in God's word. And that's, <laughs> that's why we study this uh, when we get together. And that's why we have Bible study. And that's why I hope that you are in God's word on, I hope, a daily basis. Learning from this. What does it actually say? Because there's so many messages from the world around us. And so many things that are going to be subtly trying to question. Did God actually say this? That unless you and your kids are really grounded in what God actually said, Satan is going to lead us astray in these different things. So that's right from the beginning. First three verses, so that he's placing these seeds of doubt about God's word. And then in the next verses, Satan tempts Eve to doubt God's goodness. So he doubts God's word, and he's tempting Eve to doubt God's goodness. Verses four and five. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So let's really think of what's going on here. And we said that when Satan first opened his mouth, He didn't straight out deny what God had said. He just put a question mark there, get her thinking about this, starting to get her to doubt it. But now that he's kind of softened her up with this, now he is blatantly denying what God has said. He is just flatly denying, contradicting God's word, what God has said. And Satan is, he is the father of lies. Jesus tells us this. Jesus calls him out as the father of lies in the Gospel of John eight verse forty four. Jesus says uh, with the Pharisees, "You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies." Now, sometimes those lies are subtle. Sometimes there's, it's wrapped in truth, but there's lies underneath twisting it. But there's other times where he just goes right for it. And it's like, go big or go home and just tell that lie. And if you say it over and over again in the world today, people start to believe these things. And so here he is straight out contradicting what God had said. God had said, if you eat of it, you're going to die. And he says, surely you're not going to die So we see another thing that Satan does through the serpent here is he denies the penalty for sin. He denies the consequence for sin. And this is something we see him doing today so often. Uh, There's the ultimate consequence of sin, which God had told Adam and Eve, uh, through Adam, that that it was death. The day you eat it, you will die. And this was going to be both physical death. This was also spiritual death. And there's so many other consequences of sin in the world today, too. I mean, sin is bad for you. Sin has consequences. It breaks our relationship with God. It is not good for us. Uh, It's terrible for our relationships with other people. Um, So many things. Sin, in many cases, is straight out unhealthy. It leads to all kinds of different things. But Satan will get you to think that it's not going to happen. Sure, maybe those things or the commercials warn about this, but that's not going to happen to you. You're not going to die. You're going to be the exception. You're going to be okay. Yeah, you can do this and you're not, you're not going to hurt your family. You're not going to wreck your kids. You're not going to wreck your health uh, with these things. You're going to be the one to escape the consequence. It's not actually going to happen. And God's not really going to care about this. You can rebel against him. He's a God of love. And so he don't, you don't have to worry about the fact of Hell? God having hell? God having wrath? Satan, from the beginning, has been trying to get uh, humanity to disregard these things, to disregard any type of negative consequence. It's not going to matter. You can rebel against God, you can sin, and these bad things are not really going to happen to you. Just watch for those things. Watch for how often Satan does that in our world, but in your life too. And just because sometimes the worst doesn't happen, don't view that as that God doesn't care or that there are no consequences. God might be his merciful to us so often, but you reap what you sow. And there are consequences that happen in life. And the ultimate consequence one day we all stand before the Lord to be judged. And you will stand before the Lord either with a Savior or without a Savior. Depending if you choose to embrace Jesus Christ or not. Another thing that we see the serpent do here is the serpent casts doubts on God's motives. Again, this is casting doubt on his goodness. Making this God seem like he's less good than he actually is. God has different motives. You know, he's giving these commands, but he's holding something back from you. He is hiding something. Remember, the Lord had given them all these different trees that they could eat from, but he told them there's one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, should not eat from this tree. And so Satan is focusing attention on that one tree and saying, well, the reason that God is doing this is because God is selfish. And he is keeping something good from you that he doesn't want you to have. And that's what Satan does today. Whatever sin, whatever pleasure he, Satan wants us to go after, He wants us to focus on that, to look on that, and say, how could God give you these desires in your heart and then tell you you can't go after these things? What kind of a a sick, twisted, evil God is like that? So you should decipher yourself, and you should go after these things that your heart tells you that you want. You trust yourself, trust your heart, and go for these things. And if God doesn't want you to have that, God is not really good to you. And a lot of people believe that, and a lot of people fall for that. And that was part of satan's tactics from the beginning see all these different tactics that he's using they're packed into just he speaks two times in genesis chapter 3 and he accomplishes the fall of humanity with two lines of dialogue that is how good he is at being deceitful and being crafty so christian we need to be aware of his schemes we need to be aware of his devices. We need to not be ignorant of these things. We need to be looking and aware of all of the deceit that he does. And if you're not a Christian, I hope that God is helping you to understand what Satan does to, to, to hoodwink us, to capture us, to keep you away from God, the one that is the author of, of your life, the one that is the source of true life and forgiveness and fellowship, the one that you actually need the one that stands ready to receive you. And if Satan could be this effective with Adam and Eve, who weren't even fallen yet, how much more does he able, is he able to mess with us with hearts that are full of sin? So basically, the serpent is saying, God doesn't want you to be like him You know, in the day that you eat of it. Um, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. There's a sense we're supposed to be like God in some ways. There's certain parts of God that we're made to be like him. That's part of the tragedy too. Adam and Eve should realize they were already created in his image. And for you and I, there's certain parts of God, some things that are called the communicable attributes, that God wants us to grow in holiness. He wants us to grow in goodness. But there are other things that, hey, that's for God, and that's not for us. God is the ultimate judge of the universe. God is the one that is the source of, of all life. There there's certain things that that's for God alone. And to try and be like God in that way is being like Satan, actually is following after him in his image, because Satan is the one from the beginning that he wanted to be like God. He wanted to take God's place. And so Satan is trying to get Eve to say, if you eat of this, yeah, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Because it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and this must be something that you should want. So Satan, the serpent, tempts Eve to... Basically, to take God's place, to be like God in the wrong way, to claim his authority, to be able to say for herself what is right and wrong for her to decide that. And the serpent, he lied to Eve. Knowing evil was for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I was having experiential knowledge of evil. You know, there's a difference between knowing that a stove is hot and like putting your hand on it and burning yourself. But that's not actually a good thing. Adam and Eve should have uh, realized it's good to just, they would have known just good. But this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would experience good, but they would also be experiencing evil and being involved in evil as well. And therefore we have this world now where there is both original goodness, there's some of it, but there's so much evil. It did not mean for us to have some kind of autonomous authority for us to decide what is good and evil And we can know that without experiencing it just by listening to god you don't have to make every mistake you don't have to experience yourself to know that something is wrong you can just read god's word and know okay this is wrong this is bad for me i'm not going to do it some people say well i have to make my own mistakes in order to learn well i hope not for everything we can learn from other people's mistakes, and you can learn from God. Read the instruction manual for life. I'd say that's one of Satan's lies, that you, you have to make all the mistakes yourself. No, you don't. There's some mistakes you can only make once. So we see these things happening. And with two lines of dialogue, the serpent, Satan, causes the fall of humanity. Let's read verses 6 and 7. And these verses, Eve and then Adam choose to disobey God. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate and the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. This is where we're gonna end for this sermon, but when we come back to this, we're gonna start with these two verses as well. So we're gonna kinda have overlapping sections. So I'm not gonna say everything that could be said about these two verses, but I wanna say a few things uh, this time. One of the things we see is that Eve concentrated on the appeal of what God had forbidden. I mean, look at verse 6 again. The woman saw that the tree was good for food. She's looking at it. She's considering these things that the, Satan, uh, the serpent has, has told her. Now, at the beginning, she may not have known uh, what this was about, but when that serpent started contradicting God's word, she should have realized, I should run from this. I have to stop giving ear to this. But instead, she's, she's looking, she's considering, she's focusing on it. So she looks at it. This isn't just a matter that, that she saw it, but, you know, she's looking at this thing. She's analyzing it, and she says, sees it's good. looks good for food. It's a delight to the eyes. It looks like something that's very delightful. We don't know what kind of fruit it was. Uh, people often say it was, it was the apple. It never says that in Scripture. We don't know if it's a fruit that actually exists today or some kind of fruit that only existed then. But it was something that looked very good. It looked pleasing uh, to, the, to the flesh. It looked pleasing to the eyes. And it was something, too, that realized she thought it was going to have good benefits. It would make her, make her very wise as well. good for food, delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. And then she takes it. And then she ate it. And she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Sin has appeal. That's something which we have to be honest about. There are things that are appealing about sin. If sin was always horrible in every single way, it wouldn't be all that tempting. But just in the same way that uh, those Eskimo hunters will take the blade of, of death and wrap it in uh, something very appealing to the wolf. I mean, that's what Satan does to us as well. He hides the consequence, and he gets us to focus on the pleasurable part, the part that will be pleasurable to you. But he's such an editor. He edits out the consequence. He edits out all the things that are wrong and gets you just to focus on the, the appealing part of it and to get you just to stare and to look and to look at that part of it. So we need to be honest. Sin has appeal. It is often very fun, at least for a season. But it hides always death inside of it. Eve was deceived by this whole thing. You know, I mentioned before that um, when Adam, maybe he told Eve, don't even touch it, if you touch it you'll die and it seems like maybe that was her understanding and there's a sense where we sometimes think okay you can have like a a boundary against sin and maybe that can be a helpful thing Uh, now we recognize that's also what the pharisees did they added to god's law and made their man-made rules but i wonder if that's part of what happened here because eve before she ate the fruit she would have to touch it right so she touches it and pulls it and what happens when she does that nothing. She doesn't drop dead at that moment. And so at that point, she sees, see, I've tested this. I was told, my understanding was if I touched this, I would die. I didn't die. Things are okay. So then she's able to go and take that next step. It shows some of the danger of adding to God's word as well, because it can cause us to think that that, uh, the consequences aren't really there. That's part of what Satan was doing. Eve was deceived We know that from Scripture, but we know that Adam was not deceived. And we'll talk about this more next time. Where was Adam in all of this? You know, it says here he was right, he was with her. Now, was that right from the beginning when Satan was talking to Eve? Was he watching? These are good questions. But we know at some point, and I think while she's actually eating this, Adam is there with her. And we know from uh, the New Testament, 1 Timothy 2.4, tells us that Eve was deceived in some way. It says that she became a transgressor. It doesn't get, let her off the hook for it, okay? But she may have thought maybe this, um, she was under some wrong misunderstandings, maybe from Adam, but definitely from the, from the serpent. She may have thought the serpent was a legitimate messenger from the Lord, but Adam knew full well that this was wrong. And he knew full well that it was wrong for him to allow his wife to do this. Make his wife the guinea pig? Well, let her eat. Let's see what happens to her. Oh, she didn't drop dead. Okay, okay, I'll eat here. So good job, Adam. Good job so far being the head of humanity, the head of of your, your household here. Blowing it right from the beginning. And then he eats as well. And it's when Adam eats, that's officially when the fall happens. Because uh, whether you say that Adam sinned first in not allowing, you know, in in not communicating and protecting his wife, uh, or when, you know, Eve sins, but it pins it in the New Testament on Adam. Because Adam is the representative head of the human race. He is the one that, if he had obeyed, I think it would have cemented humanity in some sort of permanent goodness. But his disobedience caused what we refer to as the fall. And we're going to see as we go through Genesis, there's these curses that happen. He literally breaks the world by disobeying God. Rebelling against God is that big of a deal. And because he was not just the first human being, but the representative for all of us, his action impacts every one of us. It's been passed down to us, but also just legally it applies to every single one of us because we are part of Adam kind part of mankind. But thank God that whereas the first Adam failed, the second Adam would not. That the New Testament tells us that Christ is the second Adam, the better Adam, the last Adam, that he is the head, the start of a a new humanity, a new human race. And that by turning to him, recognizing, being honest about your sin and recognizing the evil and the horribleness of it, turning your back on, on rebellion to God and embracing Jesus Christ, the Lord, is your Savior. We do have a second chance that is not owed to us. There is salvation that is offered to you. No matter what of a sinner you are, no matter how bad of a sinner you are, the Son of God came to this world Jesus Christ was the God-man, fully God, fully man, so that he could do something different from what Adam did. Adam failed. Adam face-planted. He rebelled. He gave in to temptation. Jesus, the second Adam, will come, and he would be tempted by the devil too. He would tempt him in the wilderness in his whole life, but without sin. He would not give in even once. And so he was the spotless one. He was the Lamb of God. And he was the one that, even though he was without sin, would take on sin for all of us. As he is put to death on the cross voluntarily, taking the punishment that I deserve, that you deserve. And I plead with you that you would turn to Jesus Christ. He offers you salvation. He offers you to jump ship from being in Adam to being in Christ, to having his perfect life apply to you, To having his death to pay for sin apply to you, and it is by grace alone. It is totally a free gift to you. Cost him his life, but he paid for it. And all you need to do is turn to him, turning your back on rebellion, and receiving what he offers you. That is the gospel. That we have this new and better Adam that succeeded where the first one failed, and we live for this Adam. We live for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Will you live for him and trust him too? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this passage that explains the world, the fracture, the the messed up world that we live in and explains the fracture even in our hearts. Lord, help us to understand, to be aware of the schemes of the devil so that is, he keeps trying these things, different variations. We can cling to your word, that we can trust that what your word says is true. We can trust your goodness, your love for us. And Lord, we thank you most of all, that where the first Adam, the first head of the human race failed and plunged us into sin. That Jesus Christ is the, the new, the second, the better Adam, succeeded and won victory and repairs things. Lord, may we all find ourselves in Christ, saved and worshiping him with joy forevermore. In his name we pray, amen.